Welcome to Gimcrack Videos. How can I help you? Hi. Hello. Yeah, we're just uh, browsing for something a little different. Well, have you tried our Forgotten Classics section? Is that the one that's over there under the sign that says Blighted by God? Oh, found something. Have you seen this before? No, I've never even heard of it. Perfect. Wonderful. Enjoy your selection. <laughs> you know we're still here, right? <coughs> oh. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us on another episode of Found on Shelf, the podcast where we tell you everything you never wanted to know about movies that you wish you had never seen. My name is Dustin and joining me on the show today as always is my co-host, the lovely Patrick. Now Patrick, how often have you been referred to as the lovely Patrick? You know, usually just in like yeah, you know, work meetings, conference calls, anytime that I'm <laughs> I'm asked to really go up and speak in front of a large group of people. So, you know, I'm pretty used to it. As you should be introduced. That's that's just how it should work. <laughs> so, how are you feeling today, Patrick? Well, um let me let me let me say it is um currently 20 degrees in Texas. About 10 minutes ago, I found out that the new Batman movie is going to be 3 hours. And Jesus. uh Earlier tonight, I watched the movie Deadly Eyes, so cumulatively, I think that's three strikes. But it sounds like it got better, at least, as it went along. (laughs) A little bit, a little bit. Well, (laughs) the cold is pervasive, but Deadly Eyes is temporary. Uh, Yes, exactly. So yes, we are talking uh, today about the 1982 Canadian horror film Deadly Eyes, also known as The Rats, also known as Night Eyes, which is uh, based on the 1974 novel, The Rats, by uh, James Herbert. And Patrick, were you familiar with uh, either the book or the novel or the or the movie or anything? I was only previous to this uh, familiar with the concept of rats in general. Night Eyes, Deadly Eyes, The Rats. No, I, hadn't, I had not heard of it. And I didn't realize it had multiple titles until I actually watched the film. <laughs> and you're like, wait, I thought we were watching Deadly Eyes. What and then, the then it comes out with Night Eyes. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I, I'm used to this. <laughs> yeah, it's it's horror in the 80s. It just had all, everything had all sorts of names. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so kind of what we like to do uh, with our little podcast here is is find these kind of random and obscure movies. And we, we both find them in kind of different ways. I, um, I I've had the hardest time because Patrick has seen almost everything. <laughs> So um, I've just started Guilty. just going based solely on the, the, the box art for the movies. Um, <laughs> and that's how I chose this one. Um, I know kind of Patrick has a weird, obscure, uh, like half the things they sell on vinegar syndrome. I think you own. So. Yeah. What I, what I am basically <laughs> doing is I am opening up um, the door to my video library, which over a thousand uh, movies at this point, And just kind of just, picking one at random and going, we'll do this one this week. Yeah. And this, this is one, like I said, I, I picked it uh, entirely based off of the cover art. And um, so 
kind of uh, what we like to do is uh, one of us will pick the movie and they'll do a kind of a deep dive to get all the behind the scenes and some of the facts about all the actors and actresses and directors and everybody else involved. And the other one just gets to kind of sit back and enjoy it. Preferably we like to watch them blind. Um, at least, at least, at least from the perspective of, of the person not doing the reporting that week. Although everything that I have been picking and I think Dustin has as well have been things that we have not seen previously for the most part. Um, it's a little bit harder in my case to pick things that are, that I haven't <laughs> seen. Um, and just because I haven't seen it doesn't mean that I don't already own it. So it's kind of the, the paradox that I'm living with. So yeah, so this one, I noticed the box art, which I really liked. I don't know if you got to see the box art. It was uh, just a pair of two glowing eyes behind a broken chain link fi- fence. And um, the tagline of the movie was, Tonight they will rise from the darkness beneath the cities to feed. <laughs> and there you, there you have it. And then there was, uh, but uh, it wasn't just the box art that really sold this movie for me. Um, I, I saw that and then I went and did a little bit of look behind the scenes of the movie. And I saw a single image that I'm going to share with you later, Patrick. And I said, this is, a, we got to watch this. This just has to be watched. So um, you're in for that little little tidbit later on. So Patrick, you, you just watched the movie. If you are going to try and sell this movie or just convince somebody else to watch it, uh, what would your quick little elevator pitch about it be? That is a very good question. I'll say this movie is, it's not bad, but there's not a lot that, that really stands out. There's a couple things, though. So I think if, if you really wanted to watch a movie tonight and you love creature films, but you were kind of tired of, like, guys in rubber suits and instead would want to see a movie where people alternate between puppets and what I'm assuming is putting small dogs in rat costumes. <laughs> Boy, do I have a film for you. Now, if you're hearing that and you think it's hokey, it it does go hard on the gore. We do we do witness yep. some child death, so you know they're in it for the long haul. They're here to shock you, but it is Canada, so um, ultimately not a lot happens. And for some reason, there's a scene in a movie theater that's that's crowded, and that that that, that kind of happens every time I watch Canadian horror, either be <laughs> this or Rabid, or just it just it's 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 kind of a a continued theme. Well, they gotta so, feel trapped somewhere in the in the great great northern opening <laughs> yeah so like this is this feels this feels like the canadian equivalent of alligator or i have not or, seen alligator no or what about alligator 2 the mutation <laughs> no i have not seen alligator i felt it would be it'd be sacrilegious to jump right into alligator 2 without experiencing alligator 1 oh dustin you haven't <laughs> met six-year-old patrick <laughs> All right, well, we've heard your pitch, so let's hear what the official pitch was uh, for the movie trailer. So we're going to go ahead and play that right now. They have been here since the dawn of time. They were on the battlefield with Alexander the Great. They were on the edge of Moscow with Napoleon. They're on every continent, in every city, and we do little to stop them. They're here now. Waiting. Watching. They've gone unchecked. Unnoticed. And now, they're monsters. What's the matter? My hand! Something bit my hand! Are you okay? Let's get the hell out of here. But the fight itself is much larger than anything I'm familiar with. 
No, if I had to guess, I'd say something in the order of a Great Dane. Except the dogs don't have the jaw pressure to snap through those metacarpals that cleanly. Would you believe the other day I saw a rat this big? Are you through? No, I mean it. He was this big. Perhaps you could just go and check out the drain for me, please. It's hard to believe that rats, even sewer rats, would attack a grown man. As far as I'm concerned, they're just stories. Overpopulated. Ah! Oversized. And hungry. Not just for food, but for... Paul, your lady friend was absolutely right about the rats. They've gotten into the subway. The rat population of the world is estimated to be 108 billion. 24 times the human population. Deadly eyes. Dun, dun. So, like the first part where they're they've been throughout <laughs> history, they were they were they they were with Napoleon, they were with Alexander, they've gone unchecked. They're the they're they're here to wreak havoc, and I'm like, <laughs> are, are we just talking about the bourgeoisie? <laughs> I mean, you don't remember the scene with the uh, <laughs> with the, with the Romans in this movie? See, it would have been better. I would have killed for like ancient battle, like like rats throughout history would have been great, but I also would have settled for a scene in which like uh, ten rats jump into to a trench coat and um, you know they get into the movie theater by just buying a ticket disguised as a person. <laughs> oh my god, that would have been fantastic! <laughs> Amazing. So so to kind of recap the movie uh, of what kind of happens here, it uh, it centers around our leading man Paul Harris. Now. Yes, I, I get. I feel like I'm jumping ahead a little bit. But is <laughs> is he the principal from the Breakfast Club, or does he just look like that? Uh, no, no, he is no. not. Okay. Um, he's definitely been in something. He's he's been in a few things. Um, okay, not as much as you think, though. But uh, but it's yeah, one of this, those faces. Yeah, and, and in this movie, he, he plays a, a divorced high school teacher, mm-hmm. and there's a uh, there's a. I figured we'll kind of introduce some of the characters so we don't kind of jump around all over the place again yeah uh, we'll, 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 we'll talk about his plot line when we talk about the movie a little oh yeah bit. absolutely there, gotta, well at least at least like the b chapter of his plot line i have i have i have some thoughts yeah and then uh we've got a we've got trudy who's a high school uh female a female high school senior that keeps oh. trying to uh seduce him for some unexplored side plot that i'm sure is one of your <laughs> your questions yeah that's one of my questions uh, <laughs> we've I, got a uh, well, when it became clear that she wanted to fuck the teacher, I, I, tur- I turned to my partner and I said, I feel like a man wrote the screenplay. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, and see, then we got uh, Kelly, who's working in the health department, who he ends up banging. And then we have our, uh, our rat expert, Dr. Lewis Spencer, as they deal with a rat infection in Toronto, even though some advertisements showed it in New York City. Uh, yes. Just because they thought it would sell better. <laughs> <laughs> so Patrick, I mean, <laughs> yeah why not why don't you go ahead and uh, walk us through this uh, fine film here the temptation to go scene by scene sometimes is like a siren call but we'll, we'll try to we'll try to, to, try to jump little, to the good uh, the good bits yeah yeah we'll, tr- we'll try to be a, a little more 
flexible with how we're doing it. But broad strokes, the synopsis basically is there are steroids in grain about to be shipped out for export. And the rats get in the grain and they eat the steroids and they become fucking huge. And these giant rats wreak havoc. We follow the lives of our teacher, Mr. Harris, and the health inspector. This movie spends a lot of time on developing and showcasing relationships when it should really be spending that time on rats eating people. <laughs> it, it, it has enough of that to, to kind of keep you around. Oh, and, and Scatman Crothers is in it, so ah, that's fun. Yeah, I, so um, what, do you, what do you think about the first actual kill in the movie? <laughs> Is, is the first kill... Uh, oh, the first kill is a cat. I guess technically. It kind of happens off screen and it's more those assumed ones. But So, so let, let, let's let's talk about the way this movie begins because <laughs> it's really interesting. Uh, it's a cult open to a PowerPoint. So we open with a PowerPoint. Well, I, I'm joking about the PowerPoint because this is 1982. <laughs> right, so a slideshow. It, it is, in fact, a slideshow. But the way we are introduced is just the still image with a voice droning over it, followed by a secondary still image. And then we pan out to reveal that it is a lecture um, through a slideshow. And it's at a museum. This, uh, the local professor of rodentology is giving a lecture on rats to a group of high school students. I assume he's a rodentology professor because he only talks about rats, but maybe he's just... <laughs> Maybe he just has like a kink for rats yeah, and he's really like an anthropologist. I think he became an anthropologist to feed his rat fetishism. The professor of rodentology at this museum is given the speech and then we're introduced to several of the high schoolers through like flirting and passing notes. And then Mr. Harris, the teacher, steps out with the professor at the end of the lecture and they talk a little bit. And he talks to some of the students. He talks to Trudy who immediately makes it clear that she is trying to get into his pants so, uh, and then you immediately get the feeling that the screenwriter is one of those people who read Lolita for the wrong reasons. From there, then, you know, that we follow them out to like a, to like a snow cape scene back to the, to the school bus where Trudy again tries to hit on the professor. And then it, it's a hard cut to the, sh the docks where they're going to be shipping out all this grain and the health inspector, whose name is, what is her name? Is her name Becky? Uh, Kelly. Kelly. Right. Kelly, the health inspector, she shuts the whole thing down because it's just, all this grain is corrupted by steroids and ate up by rodents. And like, well, there's rodents and steroids in your grain. We can't sell it. So we're going to have to destroy it all in place. And then we get this quick scene with the cat getting eaten by giant rats who, in fact, are puppets. After that, it, cu it cuts to a car or truck driving down a tunnel and we see more giant rats and then back to the shipping yards where they are actively burning the grain at night. And at this point you realize you've been watching a cold open this entire time because now the opening credit sequence starts. What an opening. <laughs> they just really ran for it. This is like 10 minutes, maybe 15 like it is, it you are invested in, in what is going on, and then all of a sudden, oh, the opening credits haven't happened yet. Boom! Yep. You completely forgot this was a cold open. Yeah, it wasn't. Uh, wasn't bad. Yeah. Um, I think it was a little bit too much story to establish before the cold open, but I mean, established in a cold open before the opening sequence, but it was good. It like no real negatives to what was going on. Right. 
And after that, the movie starts. And the kill you're talking about is uh, the sequence we get next is a party. Yeah. It is a teenage every, party. Every 80s movie has to have a high school party. Yeah, even if it's chopping mall and they have it in a furniture store at night after it closes. <laughs> you still got to have it. You still got to have it. Best, best 80s party bar none is the furniture store dance party in chopping mall between four people who do not know how to dance. Uh, that was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Barbara Crampton's got some serious moves. You're like, huh, okay. <laughs> All right. Wow, really trying to give Crispin Glover a run for his money. Yeah. So in this particular party, it's it's just a couple teenagers hanging out. The music's too loud for anybody to hear anything. They're getting high. They're having a fun time. And Trudy is talking with... I forget her this, this girl's name because she, she's... Like a, you think she's going to be a secondary character, but she's tertiary at best within the group of teenagers. Oh, I think uh, Martha is who you're talking. I think her name was Martha. And, and for the record, at this point in the movie, we are assuming that the teenagers are going to be our primary protagonists. This is not yeah. the case. Yeah, it kind of. Uh, they they did kind of a good job at like almost not sticking to the typical mold. I will say you can tell it's based off of a novel because it, it has the feel of a novel, which is shifting perspectives across a large number of people, and the overall story is what matters. And there there are protagonists, but it's being driven along through kind of like a fleshed out world with sequences that exist outside of that, and they kind of keep that feel. So I, I when they adapted this, they didn't really like whittle it down to like slasher for you. Yeah, there was a. Uh, Although I did, I did catch a clip of the of the uh, of the kids at the party before the for the the baby murder happens, because um, mm-hmm. I have to say it's one of the more authentic uh, pothead situations in a movie, and that was. Well, I'm starved. I'm stoned. Well, then it's time for a burger run. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it because it was just there. I'm pretty sure that was all done post editing, yeah. but it was still fun. Yeah, it does sound like ADV. It doesn't sound like it's like after the um, after the fact. The best part of that is they posed a problem and a solution. It's perfect. It's done. Done. Quick, quick solving. <laughs> uh, but they're having this party, and um, Trudy is talking with Martha, and she circles back to wanting to have sex with the teacher, which is just wow. <laughs> It's really all she can think about. <laughs> it's literally all she can think about. I, I am assuming the screenwriter was roughly the age of the teacher. Because she says, she, she's going on about how like she needs to find an older, more sophisticated man. And she's bored with Matt. Matt, meanwhile, is wearing a shirt tight enough that he is literally bursting out of. And between the choice of <laughs> Mr. Harris and Matt, I'd fuck Matt. Like, <laughs> clearly, the, di- the dialogue is completely unbelievable. I don't believe this character is real. Um, just, just on a scale of fuckability in terms of her moving targets, wrong guess, maybe nearsighted or something. I don't know, but just <laughs> completely unbelievable. The house belongs to Liz, whose parents are away, and she is throwing a mad party for the next week. But she does have to babysit her little sister. I think Caroline is the name, and this child is like one ish, two ish. It's it's an infant. Yeah. She, she sits her in a high chair and then goes to tend to the stone people in her house. While she is doing that, 
rats come and they're and they're 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 going back and forth with the the, the baby like like the rats are just kind of like look like they're about to attack this child and i'm like they're not gonna do this they don't have the balls to do this <laughs> they have the balls it, it's it you know and i gotta give it to them because um most movies shy away from from the baby murder from the child murder specifically and then then advance they, the they start with it they start with it, and like the way it is, is they're not they don't actually show the actual murder screen, but what they do show is is significant enough because she walks back in the kitchen and just sees a trail of blood leading yeah. down and to the, the high basement. chair knocked over and the hair child knocked over. It is horrific, and I'm like, <laughs> you know, points. But they're they're using they're using puppets for these rats because these rats are like huge, <laughs> and it's great. It was funny when when actually the first murder in the movie is a, a cat gets killed on the docks, and the, you can tell that they are just hitting the cat with with the puppet, and the cat doesn't look <laughs> terrified. Just, it looks annoyed. They're like they're pissing off their cat actor. Ah, it was Canada in the eighties. They can get away with a lot. I will say that while Trudy is daydreaming for the professor, and I'm not going to harp on this entire time, but I am going to harp on it at least as much <laughs> as the movie does. And um, her friend Martha says, <clears throat> are you off in the ozone again? <laughs> I hate when movies try to invent their own slang. It just never works. Um, they don't. Uh, the tracking shot that follows Liz during the sequence of her bringing the baby down, sitting to the high chairs, is an excellent tracking shot. Points on that. Um, yeah, throughout the whole like kind of beginning of the movie, I'm like, wow, this is actually really, really well shot. Like it looks good. Um, I can't believe they killed the kid though. Yeah. Uh, and then from there, it, it cuts back to the health inspector, and then the movie starts to go from there. Um, and then uh, since we're talking about things like this, I will say. What happens here is the health inspector walks in the office of her supervisor and her supervisor, the first words out of his mouth are, one of these days, you're going to get that pretty little ass of yours nailed to the wall. (laughs) I forgot to clip that one. I really wanted to clip it. I forgot. (laughs) Um, I don't have to make this movie about sexism. But it's so easy. Yeah. There was, there was a lot of that. I mean, he's fishing for trash in the scene. Um, yeah. But it, it's basically there. there. Again, I don't, I don't, I, I don't want to like belabor every, every single sequence because we would talk about things in a broader sense, but just broadly with the story, it's just, um, it's just there to, to like to discuss, you know, the, the, the setup, which is like she's a, a loose cannon health inspector who's out of control. And right. if she doesn't stop costing the department money by doing her job, she's going to you know, have to turn in her gun and her badge, so to speak. Not really a gun because she's a health inspector. And also it's Canada. <laughs> or New York. We're not quite sure. They don't well, really we're, say. We're not sure. We're equally hard to get a gun in New York. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. And then, um, and then what we have, uh, so the whole, the whole reason Paul got kind of involved in the in the rat side of the story, is because he was a, a basketball coach, and one of the students came up to him with a bite on his hand, saying something bit him, and they sent him to the nurse's office. Do we want to talk about that sequence, or at least right before it, because we're going to go back to Trudy again? Because <laughs> what what happens here is is that the setup for that is during the I'm assuming during the hamburger run with while everyone's already high, one of the students gets bit. But he's on his way to basketball practice, which is happening after the murder party. I don't know. It's now a murder party because a murder happens at the party. But they 
they're showcasing just a run-of-the-mill basketball practice, quote-unquote, and then the coach is in the showers. Yeah. Which I, I, I... Okay, so... My first thought was, why is the coach in the showers? But I don't know. I, 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 didn't, I didn't go to high school, or at least my public high school, so I don't know. I don't think that's a thing. Is that a thing? I did not have any coaches in the showers at my yeah. high school. Yeah, the, I th- the only time I've ever seen that before is in the erotic dream sequence in Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Yeah. Mm. Uh, this, is just, this is just a setup. It had to have happened somewhere for it to be in movies. Somewhere this is happening. I assume, but like, also, if it's just it's just that setup, right? Because Trudy just Tr- Trudy just sneaks. In. <laughs> yeah, okay. Trudy just sneaks in and to 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 accost the naked teacher, and mm-hmm. he's like, you know, call me in ten years, and then then she kisses him anyway, and right. he doesn't end that kiss. He, he he does eventually after a couple seconds. Yeah, well, like he grabs her shoulder before he pushes her shoulder right. away. It's it's very don't stand so close to me. Yes, yeah. Um, so again, just just a writer who just took the wrong takeaway from some fundamental literature. Well, <laughs> let's continue with the movie. Um, okay, all right. <laughs> we'll get into that a little bit. Oh God! All right. Um, I did my at, homework. At least the kid who got bit—he uh, plays David. David is the mo- one of the most believable teenagers I've ever seen in a movie ever. <laughs> it's like he, he's like in, annoying and energetic in like a very specific kind of way, and you're like, oh, this is this is an actual teenager. Yeah, that was that was a short-lived role, but uh, fairly good. And then, um, so so what happens next? Uh, get some old people walking down the street and get killed by rats. Yeah, or well, like that. yeah, it's just just generic rat chaos. It has a nice POV angle from the rats, which is cool. And the the plot from this point forward is we have to investigate what's going on. So the health inspector gets with Scatman Crothers, who yes. I assume is like taking a break from the Overlook to to deal with some fucking rats. He is the yeah the health department field service inspector. And he's going to go inspect the tunnels. Hold on. We're in for it now. Because I got some shit in my truck that's going to get rid of all your asses. And when I get through using this shit, you're going to wish you never ran into George Foskin. I bet there's enough of these bastards down here. Ain't this a bitch? (laughs) The best dialogue of the movie. So a couple points there. What I, I think he was like, so what's my motivation? And the guy says, well, you're Scatman Crothers. Right. <laughs> and you can cuss. Go. And you can cuss, yeah. The other thing is... I've lost what the other thing was. Oh, yeah. I don't know if his character had a last name before this moment. <laughs> yeah, George Hoskins. <laughs> if It felt very yes and. He's like... He's just, just like ad living on set and like, oh, fuck it, go with it. George, <laughs> George know, is uh, George Foskins now. That's, that's Somebody added Foskins to the screen right <laughs> to, the, to the screen credit. And then sadly, uh, yeah, sadly he meets the fate of the hand of the rats. But what's interesting in the sequence is, um, he turns the lights on in the tunnel after the assault happens. Like he gets attacked by rats and then he reaches for a light switch and lights up the entire tunnel before they was just using a flashlight, but he pushed a button that was just right in reach and fluorescent lights lit up through the whole tunnel. So if you were inspecting the tunnel, why the 
fuck wouldn't you just press the lights to begin with? Ain't this a bitch? <laughs> that, that clip is being saved for a long time. <laughs> As oh, it should yeah. be. Definitely, I've got, I've got, I've got, I've got a note here. After why didn't he turn on the lights? It said, "Did they just put small dogs in costumes?" So that's something I need to touch base with you on. <laughs> we'll we'll touch base on that. No, don't worry, we'll touch base on that. Mm-hmm. And then uh, then we get to uh, we go to the park. We watch uh, we watch Mister Harris with his son, who is. I don't. I can't judge people's ages. Like, like it's child age. Like ten. Ten. Yeah, ten. Yeah, I was thinking yeah. about that. Small child, it, but he's wearing a conductor hat because he's obsessed with trains. The child is obsessed with trains, so he's like an a full on anorak for Canada, which actually comes in handy at the end of the movie. So, yeah, you know, yeah. their little plot yeah. device first thing. Anytime there's a train nerd in a movie, it comes in handy. Like train nerds in fucking Ready Player One, train nerds in anything. There's anytime someone writes about <laughs> train nerds, it's because I believe the screenwriter was themselves a train nerd. It's like we are the most useful fucking people on the planet, and I will show you why. They just they just need that vehicle. They're like, we well, what what are we gonna do? We okay, well, somebody's got to drive the train. Well, let's put let's let this guy a train expert. I own more than one eighteen XX game, and I've got to justify that somehow within my art. So, the health inspector, Dead. and and Mister Harris, they are both in the park. She's a runner, not a jogger. Distinction apparently. Right. Um, they run into each other and they kind of flirt for a while while the kids play. That's 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 setting up their love connection that they're going to come back to because they're going to be the primary love interest of the film. Mm-hmm. And then you know she goes back to her apartment. The movie stays with her for a while. We meet her seventy-five year old neighbor, and she's like, "Hey, what's going on, Mrs. Old Person? <laughs> you, and you have a date, or it's cute. You're trying to make an emotional connection." And Mrs. Old Person, who's like, who's who's like. Uh, no, I just want to fuck his brains out, darling. I'm 75 <laughs> and I don't have that much time on this planet. <laughs> yeah. And then she's like, oh God, the 75 year old is getting it and I'm not getting it. I need to call Paul or Mr. Harris, whatever the fuck his name is. And like, we need, yep. we need to, I need to get, we need to get something in the works, but we go through her apartment and I have to point this out because I didn't realize that she was a freak. Like this woman is a full on psychopath because we walk in her apartment and this is not drawn uh, no one draws attention to this. This is not part of her character. This is not established before, after, or during. There is no context for this. We walk up her stairwell, and all along her stairway are rows of marionettes hung along the wall. I don't even think I caught that. It's just a hallway of marionettes. <laughs> I would like to see how Bobby Burke would repurpose this space because it's just fucking nuts. It's like... It's just, Strung up marionettes on the stairwell. Like, why is this? Uh, but then we cut to the. T- then we cut back to Mr. Harris, and it's not any less awkward because this teacher is written as if he were an alien. None of his interactions with humans seem genuine. Kind of seems like he's like patiently trying to figure out a puzzle, you know. And he, he is he is he is cooking a a um, frozen dinner. We are framed this because he is divorced. The child is on visitation. He has an ex-wife with whom he does not get along because he states it. So we see we are framed as this divorcee who can't take care of himself. So he's eating disposable dinners every night of the week. But he also he doesn't know how to cook this dinner. So he's not doing that every night of the week. 
He's just like reading the entire instructions off the back of the box, which is not how you do a frozen dinner. You read the instructions once maybe, but like the thing that you really do is go, oh, it's 40 minutes, right? 40 minutes, 40 minutes, 40 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. God, how many minutes? And you just look at the time. But no, he's reading the whole thing out loud and it bothers the shit out of him because it doesn't make any sense. And I, I, I shouldn't be worried about these types of movies making sense, but like he's such a strange character. Like the, the whole sequence is just, He's a weird dude, narratively. Uh, I think I think that bothering you might make you a strange character. That's, that's such a know, weird thing. You've known me for that's true. Let's see, seven, eight, close to eight years now. Yeah. You know that I'm. A, you've known that I'm a strange character for much longer than that. Again, again, the movie just spends a lot of time in negative space, showcasing people's relationships with one another, building them applying tension and this is all time we could be spending watching people get ripped to shreds by rats oh but they make up for it so so yeah we've got uh we got we got the mayor who was talking about uh uh, oh well sorry let me me back up because they tried to do a uh, they tried to poison all the rats in the sewer so they don't spread i've got some notes on that so all right they call in everybody (laughs) they call in everybody yet like the mayor just finds out about the next day. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> anyway, the, she calls up Mr. Harris while he's doing a frozen dinner. They're going to go on a date and set. So he puts the dinner back in the freezer. They're going to go on a date. They go on their date. The, the thing here is these two people, they're just really boring people. Yeah. A- and I don't want to see them fuck. I don't think they deserve it. And then they fuck and it's a boring sex scene. So I'm justified <laughs> in my terrible opinion. And then she gets, and then they show the next morning, and she gets a phone call, and it's a total Futurama moment because they're telling her about George Foskin's death. So she answers the phones, and it's like, "To shreds, you say?" So they, they, what happens? They have found George's body. She takes off with Mister Harris, and they're just there. They're talking to the cops together. Why is he there? Why was he allowed to be in this scene? Because he doesn't work for the health department. He's not related to anyone. He doesn't have anything to do with law enforcement they just let men do anything in these movies he just showed up and like well why are you here and he's like well <clears throat> unzipped is oh you got a penis yeah you're, you're perfectly fine to be here for this official conversation no he's like i just banged her so i'm good don't worry about it you're fine you're practically you're practically on the force so they, after they've discovered these that he's been murdered by an animal that shouldn't exist they're like well clearly they're super rats we need to murder the to murder the fuck out of everything in the sewer, and then they have that everyone moment. Yep. And 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 that's where we are. So that that, that brings us up to where you were going to say, and I, I just wanted to, to go on a diatribe about this wasted space in the middle of this movie to set up the love interest, and I'm like, fuck this part. <laughs> like we don't need a love interest in this movie. We just need more rats eating people i signed up for one goddamn thing if i wanted to see people's complex emotions with rats i would watch willard or ben we're fine yeah so yeah it's it's always interesting to see to see what you what you pull out of the movie sometimes oh it's one of my favorite things Uh, so so yeah so uh, the the mayor was not happy that they threw everything at it he's like this is going to cause too much attention too much things and i guess ever since jaws they decided the mayor's got to be like the bad guy in any major city movies so uh it's the same thing you know i, I gotta look out for this my election's coming up all that nonsense mm-hmm. um but um uh, our our 
or your your ratologist uh, gentleman who I don't know why he's he's checking on things again and he found finds out that rats went into the subway right so like the the, the sequence that sets that up is um, right before right before she's denigrated by her male employer she's talking to her new boyfriend and they're talking about the rats and and then she's like I think they're super rats and he's like super rats don't exist so like he's like great we've been dating for like a day because they're in the movie if you're a couple you're like you're like a couple couple right right so we've been together for like a day i've had sex with you once finally this is my first opportunity to tell you you're wrong about something this movie is (laughs) it's it's got a very strong point of view and i and it it has it has a it has a female protagonist but it's not female friendly (laughs) (laughs) an attempt was made an attempt was made um but so the, he's like let's go talk to my rat my rat professor friend so um professor rat is, is they meet with the rodentologist and they have the discussion he's like yeah no it's totally possible and then later they cut back to him investigating in the subway for no real reason but it's like it's like it's it's off his office in the museum it's in the basement of the museum that's what it is i don't know I don't know why he, he says they're in the subway when they're in the basement of the museum that doesn't look like it connects, but I guess we assume it connects. Yeah, because he has a very nice office that immediately abuts a spiral staircase into darkness. Like he has like the Lovecraft suite where he just like <laughs> knocks on the wall and it opens up into this forgotten city where rats with human faces crawl along the dark altar. So, so he's got that going on, which is, you know... As far as workplace is concerned, if you're going to be a rodentologist, you might as well. You got to have an express express mm-hmm. way to get to them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, actually, I, I'm going to say I was an idiot. I, I made I made a long list of jokes of like of like what is the fuck is this like ratology? I'm like, oh wait a minute, that's probably a thing, isn't it? It's probably <laughs> called rodentology. Let me Google that. Oh yeah, it is. It's called rodentology. Fuck it, it is actually called rodentology. Interesting. Yeah. See, you learned something on this podcast. I know, and I was gonna act. I was gonna act like I knew it the entire time, and I'm like, ah, I'll tell the story. <laughs> it's better that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, um, we go, we go from that scene uh, back to uh, Paul coming home and um, deciding to take a shower. And what happens next? Oh, uh, this was the worst scene in the movie. Because what's happens here is he, he, he walks, he walks most, he walks like into his bedroom, just wearing a towel and he opens up his, his bedroom door and Trudy, the teenager is there in like, she's like, I'm here to fuck you, you know, different dialogue, but that's basically like the gist of it. Because then she decides to just <laughs> bend over. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So, so she's like, "I love you. We have to have sex," and you already know where this is going. It's a very basic confrontation, right? You already know that the the, the health inspector, God, what the fuck is her name? Why can't I remember her name? I don't remember Kelly. his first name either. Kelly. So you already know that Kelly is going to show up to the apartment just as he's trying to get this half dressed teenager out of his door, and they're going to have a fight. They're going to fall out, and that's going to be the, their conflict before it going into the third act that has to be resolved at the end of the film. That's exactly what happens. And the reason she's coming there is to to pick him up and his son because they're going to go to the subway opening. The subway Are subway opening a thing? Do they make that up for this movie? <laughs> I've, I've never heard of that before. 
And um, there's a very good reason. It wasn't in the book, but it was a very good reason why they did this uh, in relation okay. to something else. Yeah. Uh, okay. What ha- so there, there, Kelly is being punished for uh, causing the city so much money. She has to go to the subway opening. They op- they just built a new subway. The mayor is having it. They're going to do this this grand opening party. But she's going to take uh, Mr. Harris and his son to the uh, the opening because his son is such a train freak they have they have their confrontation and she decides to just take his son without taking him which seems like a Weird. thing that shouldn't happen that's basically kidnapping yeah <laughs> yeah it is and then at that exact moment the rodentologist calls and says like hey the fucking rats are in the subway and he's like oh shit and he's got to go get down there and then I think I think at that point the rodentologist who knows the rats are dangerous and giant and that they're in his basement goes back down into the basement for some reason. Yeah. I, I assume he was tired of living. Yeah, and then the rats take care of him. It's it's one of those weird plot things that just gnaws at you. <laughs> Literally. Oh yeah. So so yeah, so we have the uh and then the, the mayor's doing their like you said, the opening ceremony for the new tunnel. Um Trudy finally took no for an answer and gave up on Paul and decided to go with her friend Martha to go uh, to go to the movie theater. Yeah, they're going to go see Bruce Lee's Game of Death, which is also the movie that the Kill Bill costume comes from. Mm-hmm. Well, Martha's boyfriend uh, gets murdered at a bowling alley, so, so she doesn't was, actually go watch the movie. I was kind of upset about the bowling alley scene because that seemed like a lot of missed opportunities. Well, the bowling alley scene comes out of nowhere. It's almost like a meanwhile in a separate film. Right. And it, it's like it's like a wind-up to, oh, wait, that's one of the teenagers. Okay. And then he gets murdered in the, the pin pickups. Yeah. And they don't really do anything back with that. They don't, like, have a reveal or anything. It's just a, it's just a one-off scene outside of everything. You you could have had rats just pouring out of, like, the ball return or something. It yeah. would have been, could have been, or just, like, you know, just having them shoot out or something. But they just kind of let it go. You didn't need the scene at all. The whole thing could just be chopped off and you wouldn't need it. Matt and Trudy are clearly back together. And Martha Martha is um, down one boyfriend due to rat murder. And they're all watching this movie at the theater. And this is why I say a lot of these Canadian movies, I don't know why, but a lot of the iconography is going back to to these movie theaters. Although in this instance, at least it is, it's like a Bruce Lee film. In Rabbit, it is a, it's like a, it's a, it's a porn film. (laughs) <laughs> All right. Specifically, it's a type of um, it's a porn genre from the late seventies, early eighties within Canada, and I forget the name that it's colloquially, colloquially referred to, but the word maple is in there somewhere. We'll, we'll take- Hi, this is Patrick jumping in from the future to correct something real quick here. Uh, the th- the film I was thinking of, or the film genre I was thinking of, is actually referred to as maple syrup porn. Uh, but they were about 10 years earlier, about the late 60s, early 70s. And they were uh, French-language softcore erotic films filmed specifically in Quebec. Uh, the spin on them that made them their own genre is that to clear the Quebec censor board, the main characters would have to reform from their ways and become kind of like good Catholic housewives by the end of the film. Uh, first one came out in 1968. It was called Valerie. So if you're looking for some weird bit of film history, check it out. Uh, at this point, the rats, though, are in the theater, and it's a really cool sequence, because it's, 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 all, it's all like demons. It's all, the rats just come out of everywhere and just yeah. start 
Um, they attack people as if they are sentient slap bracelets. They just hit the wrist, hit the wrist, hit the wrist. Yeah. Over and over again. Like, like <laughs> wrist scene, wrist scene, wrist scene of rats just launching onto people's forearms. Uh, you know, they, 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 they cause havoc. It's a, it's a nice chaos scene, lots of gore. Everyone runs fleeing the theater while they're getting murdered. It's, it's Jumping great. through windows. It's beautiful. Yeah. Definitely a highlight of the film. And then uh cuts back to the subway. The subway, uh, the train, they're going to ride the train from the station to the party. It loses power because rats not on the power lines, I'm assuming. I, uh, yeah, they, 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 they shut them chewing through the power yeah. lines. Yeah, and everyone is forced to walk through the tunnels. Meanwhile, Mr. Harris is driving to the party, re- finds out that they're walking through the tunnels. He needs to get to the tunnels, but a cop won't let him in the party or in the tunnels at all because he's not invited. So he punches the cop and steals his gun, which is the most proactive he's been in the entire film. (laughs) And then charges into the depths of the tunnel to rescue. Uh, Not everyone. No, just Trudy and his kid. Just, just, just the uh, kid. Um, Kelly. Uh, Kelly? Kelly, yeah. Sorry, not Trudy. Kelly. Trudy's getting rat murdered. Well, like you said, Trudy was a freak. She had the marionettes. We don't know exactly all that happened, but it must have been good mm-hmm. because he just knocked out a cop to take her back. <laughs> Darling Nikki plays in the background. Um, you should see what she does with a marionette. <laughs> he, 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 he saves them and only them while everyone else gets murdered by rats in the tunnels. Which they they actually they take a couple wrong tunnels turns and wind up at the rat's nest next to some chemicals, gasoline, it's conveniently placed yeah, material, something or other. They blow up the rat's nest in a ball of fire, and then they drive. They they go back to the subway and they let the kid drive the train. The train arrives at, and at this point you're thinking movie's over because they blew up the nest. Everything's nice and everything's fine. Yeah. And the train arrives at the station and rats are still on the train eating dead bodies. Yes. Was was that one of their bodies or was that just a body that was in the train? I think that was the actual mayor. It was the mayor. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think so. Because remember, he was trying to run and hide. Right, because right, they're, they're, they're in the cabin where they're driving, so they're fine. But yes. Yeah. Super rats. And in scene, in movie. That was like, rat jumped on this movie on the... Right when things really kind of get interesting, and it's just like, oh, it's over. Yeah, well, that was really a great way to end it. Uh, I, uh, you know, overall, did we really talk for fifty minutes or not? Yeah, <laughs> Jesus Christ, it's a uh, fantastic movie. Uh, yeah, overall, it's it's a it's a fine film. I, uh, I did enjoy it. Yeah, it, it's one of the better movies we've picked. Um, yeah, it was great. Yeah, it was fun, and um, and yeah, uh, so. So let me, I'm going to send you a picture really quick. And this is the image that really got me interested in, in the movie to begin with. I found this uh, behind the scenes photo here. Should be popping up now. Yeah. <laughs> now, once you get that picture, please describe what you're seeing. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> fucking knew they were dogs. Shit. <laughs> so it's, it. What, what, what he has sent me is a picture of a behind the scenes, uh, moment in which the uh dachshunds yep uh the the, the a whole bunch of dachshunds in rat costumes so with the the rat heads <laughs> off so just a whole bunch of dachshunds there it's perfect <laughs> yes uh, overall altogether they they used uh 35 dachshunds and five terriers 
to recreate the different rats that they wanted did to they, use. Did they use rat terriers to, to, to play rats? I think so. That's amazing. <laughs> no, well, I was watching it and I'm like, well, they can't all be puffets. And I'm like, well, they move like dogs. Yes. And, um, and that was actually a, a problem that they did have with that was because they're, because they move like dogs and dogs kind of, you know, move their heads around when they, when they run. So they, they had these giant masks over their heads. Oh my God. <laughs> so they couldn't really see anything. So all the training that they normally did for dogs were kind of out the window. So they didn't even bother with, you know, commands. Uh, they just lured these, uh, these dogs dressed like killer rats. They just lured them around with the smell of blood and raw meat. <laughs> well, that's metal. I mean, that's what you got to do. That's how you get dancing from room to room. And that was that was part of the reason why they chose to film this in Canada. Uh, was one, because they filmed in January when nobody else was filming. And um, two, there was a lot less uh, restrictions when it came to animals in films. And there used to be a lot of like tax benefits to filming in Canada at this time. Oh, yeah. If, you, if you'll notice, there was no mention of no animals were harmed in the making of this film. Oh, no. Yeah. One of the dogs uh, had a heart attack on set and died. Oh, my was God. Kind of devastating. Um, but, yeah, That's it was awful. kind of the Wild West of, of filming. They could just do what, whatever they wanted to do. And <laughs> like, okay. That almost gonna... always winds up poorly. Yeah, it really does. You Then you find out there's restrictions for a reason. There's yeah. some rules for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, we had a Lisa Langlois, I think Langlois. I'm not sure how you pronounce her last name there. She was the one that played uh, Trudy, the high school girl crushing on the teacher. Uh, she thought that the idea of having the dogs dress up like rats was a brilliant idea, and she was under the impression the entire time that this movie would be the next Birds. Mm, I don't I, think it was. Yeah, well, <laughs> no, that's all right. <laughs> So she, she had a, she was in a couple movies before this, uh, including Happy Birthday to Me and Transformations, two movies of which I own and I want to watch on this podcast at some point. Happy Birthday to Me, I saw the first five minutes of and I, I didn't get to finish it uh, during that screening, which mm. is a shame because I believe uh, one of the actresses from Little House of the Prairie is in it. Oh, nice. The, uh, the but, yeah, we're, we're going to watch that one for sure. Mm-hmm. Um and she's had pretty steady work throughout the years. And her on-screen boyfriend, Matt, who was played by Joseph Kelly, who mm-hmm. later on changed his name to Joseph Kell. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Um, he ended up becoming a director. And he actually directed her in a movie in 2010 called uh, Summer 11. Okay. Uh, so I don't know if you, I've never heard of that. But, uh, but there you go. It's funny that they ended up working together again so many years later. At the time, uh, neither Lisa or... Uh, Leslie, who played her friend Martha, neither of them really knew who the director was. I'm not sure if you caught who that director was either. But I actually didn't look at the credits. Who was ah, the director? So what was the director's name? Uh, I wrote that down, but I don't want to lose my place here, so I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, Robert something Klaus? Close? I don't know um, that name. All right. Um, but yeah, neither did they, apparently. Uh, <laughs> uh, and her friend Martha was also in Happy Birthday to Me. So... They were, they were friends in that movie, and now they're friends in this movie. Um, she had a pretty active career uh, up until 2019. She did a lot of TV shows, a lot of movies, a lot of voiceover work. You know that Star Wars cartoon, Droids, just popped up on uh, Disney Plus here recently? The old, uh, yeah. 
<clears throat> she was, uh, I think her name was Kay Mole, the girl with the brown hair and the white mohawk. She did the voice of her. And she had a brief run as a scream queen. She did a funeral home in 1980, curtains in 1983, uh, and of course, Happy Birthday and Deadly Eyes. And she even had a guest appearance on Friday the 13th, the series. But also in our main cast. She's in Class is, of 1984. Yes, Class of 1984 is another one. Jesus Christ, that's a fucked up movie. Yeah, uh, she was a punk rock girl that got off on uh, violence and stuff. Wait, is that her? Yeah. Oh my God. she's The character is like, like oh, that is her. That Shit. was all ad-libbed too. She, like, she just, yes. just did ad-lib all that. Yes, I, I do know. I know that part. I just didn't realize this was the same person. Yep. I, could, I kept thinking of that fucking movie throughout this movie, and I'm like, why, why? <laughs> uh, no, well, if they came out right around at the right, same time. Yeah, pretty much. She's the highlight of that, one of the highlights of that film. Her <laughs> character is out of her fucking mind, but also has, like, strong, like, proto-Harley Quinn vibes. Like, like obviously, villain-era Harley Quinn, but, like, there's, like, it's not one for one, but, but like, it's it's a similar archetype. But Jesus Christ, that's fucking wild. And she said almost all of her like scenes were just involved her just standing there doing nothing. And yeah. she decided that that would just be boring. So she just started doing whatever the hell she wanted to do. And she went off base with <laughs> and it. it worked. And it Jesus Christ, that movie. <laughs> and don't watch it, but she's good at it. But don't watch it. And also in our main cast, your, uh, your what'd you call him? Your ratologist? Uh, the Rodenologist. <laughs> Rodenologist. Yeah. Dr. Spencer. He was played by a guy named Sec Linder who was best known uh, for being in the Goldfinger movie, playing James Bond's best friend, uh, or this uh, CIA agent guy, um, Agent Felix. Oh, wow. Oddly that you mentioned Lolita earlier, he played Dr. Kigi in Lolita, in Stanley Kubrick's films. And he has done a ton of things. Like, uh, I looked it up, the there was over 225 credits in film and television over a 33-year career. So Jesus. pretty solid. We also had Scatman Crothers, who kind of needs no introduction because he's got a, a ton of stuff. Uh, he was one of those characters in this movie that they hired on to draw not only an audience, but to also draw in other actors and actresses. So they could be like, oh, Scatman Crothers is involved. Well, then it's got to be a legit film. So that was a, that was a nice strategy that they used a lot uh I'm sure they still do. And then our main man, uh, Sam Groom, who played uh, Paul. He has done a ton of uh, TV work as well. He's only had three theatrical films, though. Um, but his TV resume, he's done a ton of stuff. A bunch of soap, opera, soap operas. He even played a JFK in a TV miniseries uh, called a Blood Feud. And did you ever hear of a TV show from 1985 called Otherworld? No. It sounds interesting to me, and I don't think I've ever seen it, but it's like a family is like going on a, a vacation and then they get transported to a parallel universe that's kind of like Earth but different or something like that. Uh, anyway, he plays the dad on that TV show. I'm going to have to try to see if I can find some old copies of it because it sounds interesting. And then he was the spokesman for American Motors for a few years. <laughs> he is just about as white bread cookie cutter as you get. And uh, now he's on the faculty at HB Studios, which is one of New York's uh, original acting studios that had alumni like uh, Matthew Broderick, um, Billy Crystal, Robert De Niro, a ton of people. And <clears throat> another interesting fact that you, uh, you mentioned uh, Lolita earlier. Uh, so in the, in the scene where you actually happened to mention Lolita, which is funny, the 
the music playing in the background was an Americana musician and Joe Biden fan, Chuck McDermott. Okay. And he actually wrote and sang two songs for this movie and that were never commercially released, but they did print a vinyl record so they could play it at the party scene. <laughs> and oh, that wow. was the only copy of it they ever did. So it's uh, this song here, which was called Lolita. Very cringy enough. Yeah. Would you mind turning down the stereo? We can hear it all over the neighborhood. No problem. Thank you. Yeah, that was a song that was playing during the high school party. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> These guys, dude. Jesus. <laughs> oh. <clears throat> and I, I also wanted to share with you something that I did that the the co-producer and screenwriter did not do. Mm-hmm. And that was I actually went and read the source material. I read like, the book. You read you read the whole book? I read the book. Jesus Christ, you get points. <laughs> All right. Please. I did the homework for this. Please tell us about the book, Dustin. Holy shit. I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about the book here in a second. But first, let me tell you about the screenwriter, a guy named Charles Eagley. He also goes by the name Chick Eagley sometimes. I am looking at his picture on IMDb next to like this water bottle with a chilby hat and sunglasses. Yeah, he's he's done he's done a lot of work. Uh, this is, was his third gig in Hollywood. His first two were the assistant director in Piranha, 1978, and as the writer for its sequel, Piranha 2, The Spawning. Uh, (laughs) And then he did Deadly Eyes. But he really seemed to hit his stride with television. He was a writer and usually the executive producer for NYPD Blue, Dark Angel, The Shield, Dexter, um, Walking Dead, Hemlock Grove. He's done a ton of stuff. But when it came to Deadly Eyes, he actually said in an interview that he didn't actually read the book. He just ripped off some ideas from Piranha. (laughs) (laughs) So I was expecting to rely on your knowledge of the movie Piranha. um, But to to my utter shock and amazement, I, you, I'll let you tell the listeners, when was the last time that you watched any of the Piranha movies? God, you're going to shame me in the first episode? Shame. Shame. (laughs) Despite my trash film pedigree, I have not actually watched uh, Uh, any film from the Piranha franchise. Oh, man. And that includes Piranha 3D DD. (laughs) I don't know how you could skip that one. I don't remember the first Piranha movie I saw, but it had flying piranhas. And I remember as a kid being scared that one of them was going to fly out of the toilet and bite me in the ass when I was taking a poop. Well, you want to stay away from ghoulies. <laughs> I, I did like that one, though. They'll get you in the end. <laughs> this is true. Um, so, thanks to Tubi, I went back and watched Piranha as well. I watched I watched a whole other movie and read a book just to do research for this movie. This is the most thoroughly prepared we've been for anything ever. <laughs> yeah, ever in my life. Uh, although, I, I kind of skimmed through Piranha because I just wanted to see what parts they ripped off and... Uh, I definitely see some of the similarities. Um, <clears throat> the big, the big subway opening party was very similar to what they did in Piranha, which was not in the movie or not in the book. In Piranha, they were just opening like a new little, like, little I don't know, theme park playground, little area that was all on the water. So he kind of just took that same concept. And was like, oh, let's just 
do it for a subway party instead. Because <laughs> that's a thing, right? It's not a thing. So, uh, so James Herbert is the author of this book. Mm-hmm. And as a complete side note, his father's name was Herbert Herbert. You're fucking kidding. <laughs> no. You're, you're fucking you're, That is so close to Humbert Humbert. Yes, his name is Herbert Herbert. Why is this, why is, why is like, why is this DNA like all over this fucking movie? I don't know. <laughs> you and he was not a fan of this movie um he actually had another book that was adapted into a film a few years before this one called the survivor uh oh. and when he was asked about these movies he said and i quote i had nothing to do with those two films i've seen them they're terrible absolute rubbish i can only say don't blame me <laughs> So that's what he felt. Um, <clears throat> Rats was his first novel, and it spawned three sequels, one of which was a graphic novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, so the book that this is based on had definitely more of like a, a sci-fi uh, horror theme, and it also had a really interesting look at the way that different classes are being treated in a society. Um, and uh, in the end of the book, we learned that the rats were smuggled into the country by a zoologist from an island near New Guinea that had been part of a nuclear test. Uh, the rat's bites would kill somebody within 24 hours. So if you just got bit, you'd die. Mm-hmm. And there was also a alpha rat who was too fat to move. He was white, hairless, and had two heads. <laughs> None of that was in the film, unfortunately. I'd, I'd love to see all of that. But but you could tell there were some things in common, like like somebody somebody read the book and just described some scenes to him like there was like hey like there was a, a kid that died in the book uh that was one of the first kills there was um you know there was there was an attack on like a high school but i think they just used that for the movie theater instead so there was a couple of little things that they had in there but uh overall it really it really kind of it was just rats attacking people was the main kind of thing in common I am looking at his IMDb page, and apparently the 1995 kids movie about a dog named Fluke, Fluke. also also based off a novel. Yeah. yeah he has, he's, had, he's had quite a, quite a lot of stuff, but I didn't want to get too far into uh, the, the son of Herbert Herbert. Um, <laughs> uh, there was also a, uh, there was a TV remake of this movie that was actually called The Rats which apparently had an even worse ratings than this one. Um, and it sounded even further removed from the novel. It does take place in New York and it does feature a lot of scenes of the twin towers. And can you guess what day it was supposed to air? Oh my God. Really? <laughs> so they decided not to show it that evening <laughs> and went back. I can't and imagine to, why. And to edit out all the shots of the twin towers and later released it in 2002 and, it uh, yeah did not get the a lot of good reviews on that, <clears throat> and uh, like and like you did mention earlier, in the a uh, lot of usage of uh, Bruce Lee's image, especially with the Game of Death, and that's because the production company was Golden Harvest, the one that did Deadly Eyes, and the one that did uh, uh they're basically uh they're based in Hong Kong, played a huge role in introducing Hong Kong movies to the Western market. 
so that was their kind of niche. And then I guess they're trying to expand to do their own movies. And uh, Robert Klaus, that was the guy's name. Robert Klaus, he uh, was a director of this movie. And he uh, was also the director of Enter the Dragon. That was kind of his big, big movie that he did. And he was selected to finish the work on Game of Death after Bruce Lee died. So he was the one that kind of went in and actually reshot some scenes and did it all. So that's kind of cool. Um, which is why you saw all the Game of Death and all the Bruce Lee footage and stuff being shown in there. So yeah, he's been the writer and director uh, on a new a lot of films. His first full feature movie was called Dreams of Glass, which was oddly enough Danny DeVito's first film in 1970. Um, he did a movie called The Ultimate Warrior in 1975. Uh, he did The Big Brawl, which was uh, Jackie Chan's first attempt at breaking into American films. Uh, so yeah, he's done. He did a lot of work on martial arts movies. He did another movie that was based in in Portland that I'm I gotta check out now. Uh, and I looked into his some of his stuff. And uh, in his early days, he was a still photographer for CBS, and he served in the military. And if you noticed, uh, we just kind of on this movie, he really loves visuals in movies, and as far as how everything looks to him. And that was probably because he was completely deaf. Yeah, <laughs> he relied on his assistant directors to verify that all the actors actually delivered their lines correctly. Amazing. That's really cool. Um, he looks like he has a pretty stored career. There is, should, should I ruin it? Because there's a movie here you glance, you glossed over, but Go for any, it. anyone who's, who's listened to Mystery Science Theater or Riff Tracks would be intimately familiar with a 1985 release um, called Jim Cotta. I am not familiar with that one. He is the director of Jim Cotta. Jim Cotta, it, let me read you the tagline for Jim Cotta. And actually, let me see if I can send you this picture. Um, the tagline is, a new kind of martial arts combat, the skill of gymnastics, the kill of karate. <laughs> Jim Cotta, got it. Yeah, that it is. terrible. Uh, it's absolutely atrocious. It's... <laughs> It's it's amazing that the same person who made uh, Enter the Dragon made Jinkata. Yeah, he uh, he seemed to do it's very hit or miss. <laughs> That's all I can really say, hit or miss. <clears throat> but he did write the screenplay for most of the movies that he that he did. Uh, mm -hmm. China O'Brien, China O'Brien Two. Um. So yeah, there was a few of them there. So that was um, so that was his work, and that's. That's pretty much all I got for uh, for the behind the scenes info and uh, all the information there. Well, sure. I mean, you read the book. I I did. I was uh, yeah. It was, it was so a couple of interesting things in the book. It 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 starts out there's and this is the thing that I think a lot of people that told him about the movie is like what it should be. There was a lot of side characters and a lot of these like romance stories. Like you can tell the guy wrote it like a chunk at a time and then stitched them all together. Uh, the very first story was actually kind of uh, kind of deep. I mean, considering the book was counting like seventy two, I think it was it was about a uh, it was about a businessman that um, turns out he was gay and he fell in love with one of his younger coworkers and he got so happy because he was gay and then his younger coworker started getting tormented at work and everyone started like you know 
trashing these guys and then they ended up both losing their jobs and ended up getting distraught and he ended up falling into alcoholism and it was like this whole huge deep story that i was like wow this is am i reading the rap book like what am i reading right now and, yeah uh, and then yeah the guy ended up basically uh i think he just drank himself to near death and then the rats killed him it was very interesting and there was a lot of these little uh side kind of stories of characters that kind of a it's, i mean this is it's pretty stephen king but it's kind of that style of like you know breaking the american novel where you're you're, you're getting all of these people's interiorities and these rich lives that have nothing to do with the murder and then it just intersects the horror for just a brief second and it kind of like fleshes everything out right so That's yeah it was, it was it was it was a it was definitely an interesting book um and I, I got the other two as well, so I might check those out at some point. I always like something new. Um, so yeah. Uh, well, Patrick, I can uh, I can say now is the time. In a way, I brought you here to offer you a job. You think you can do it better, so here's your chance. Here is your chance to do it better. You are allowed to change three things, and only three things, to improve this movie. What do you do? Less negative space with these um, relationships. Like even if we're gonna do, gonna showcase relationships, it's got to be in a way that feels uh, both that feels like diegetic, that feels like it's supposed to be in this story, and not just adjacent to it, and more exciting than these milk toast people. So we've got to like, 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 like spend less time on that aspect, but the time we need to spend needs to be in service of moving things forward and actually deepening these connections instead of just like trying to like force people together so uh, a better a better crux on that i guess a second thing would be more detail in these rat sequences the gore like it was there and i don't i don't need buckets of gore but like like some type of inventiveness with, with like some of the up close visceral stuff you know just a little a little more a little more attention towards the actual rat mayhem yeah, I think that was one of the harder things for them to pull off. Obviously, um, I mean, I think one of the, I think it was, uh, was the screenwriter called it, called the actual like rat costumes one of the worst special effects of anything he's ever worked on. <laughs> it was, yeah, well, it was a good attempt. I, mm-hmm. I get what they were going, but it just didn't, it didn't work so well. And I guess better working conditions on the set for the animals because it doesn't seem like that worked out very well. Yeah. I'm interested to see how the uh, how that remake, the 2002 remake, is. Uh, I'll have to watch that, but I'm sure it's not good. No, I, I think I think this, the movie is pretty tight for what it is. Like it's it's real hard to make it better because what it is 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 just like a, it's a standard creature feature. So if you have better a better a better flow on the narrative around the creatures and then just and then just better creature dynamics i think are the two main things you need out of this because the cinematography was on point the acting was good um it is it for what it was it was great yeah i mean i think we could have used a little bit more scatman crothers Ain't this a bit? <laughs> but other than that i thought it was good yeah, not a lot of sound bites on this one because it's it's not a lot that like screams at you. Agreed. Yeah, there was just a lot of screeching and screams and really annoying screeching. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, unless you got anything else to add, I think that that about wraps it up for this episode of uh, Found on Shelf. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on to whichever podcast service you're using, and be sure to check us out on Found on Shelf Pod dot com where i'm going to go ahead and post that picture of the rats and costumes and uh post some other links uh for the show 
And for all your social media needs, you can find us as found on shelf pod, all one word on Twitter, Instagram, and at Gmail. Let us know what you think of the show and offer any suggestions of movies you'd like us to check out. Thanks a lot, guys. We'll see you you next time. forgot to to pick up a, a beat earlier and it didn't really fit naturally to throw it in anywhere else so i'm like fuck it i'll just throw it at the end